Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And not just the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Sarah Dowdy. And I'm Dublina Chakraborty. And you guys know that we really love a good historical mystery. It allows for so much interesting discussion, I think. A discussion of different theories, sometimes compelling ones, sometimes less plausible sounding theories, and then sometimes just completely yeah. wacky, out weird. there ideas. Weird ones. <laughs> Which, I mean, I, I'm glad that we at least get to mention those most of the time. But <laughs> we're going to be talking about a historical mystery today. And since Dutch explorers first arrived at Easter Island in the 1700s, people have wondered about the tiny remote location's most startling feature, the gargantuan carved stone statues called Moai. And in the past, people tended to focus more on how the island's people got there to this really, really far out location and who built the Moai. So for instance, the Norwegian adventurer Tor Heyerdahl of Kontiki fame suggested that Peruvian pre-Inca came to the island and built these statues themselves. And Swiss author Eric von Daniken even thought that they were built by aliens, you know, a classic catch-all for the most impressive building Pyramids, project Stonehenge. always. Today, though, most of these questions are answered. 
interdisciplinary evidence points to the inhabitants coming by boat from the Polynesian islands in the South Pacific. So the focus has been more on how these gargantuan statues were moved and what led to the population's collapse pre-European contact. And recently, new information on both of these points has come out, questioning the predominant idea about Easter Island's darker history, its environmental degradation, and the Moai part in it. But before we give too much away here, let's take a listen to Candace and Jane's podcast from 2008. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candace Gibson, joined by staff writer Jane McGrath. Hey, Candace. Jane, I think that if I could go any place in the world, it would be Easter Island. Really? It's a beautiful place. Have you been? I haven't. I've just seen pictures, but it looks beautiful. I am kind of obsessed with it. And I was looking up videos of Easter Island the other day, Mm. and I stumbled upon this fabulous piece of information, and that is that Easter Island has its own marathon. And now I love, love running long distances. I love half marathons (laughs) and full marathons, and I'm very slow. I won't profess to be the first up the finish line (laughs) or even like the 800th, but I don't think Mm -hmm. there'd be anything cooler than running around the Moai of Easter Island. And it's not that big of an island, actually. I was looking at it. I mean, uh, I I saw that it was about 64 square miles, and that's about, I mean, to see as a point of reference, like, it's about the same size as Washington, D.C. It is itty-bitty. Yeah. And furthermore, it is in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I think it's closest land neighbor, like, I guess a big land neighbor, I think there are other islands smattered around nearby, but not too close by, would be Chile. Yeah. And that is about 2,299 miles away. That's right. And if you look at a globe, it looks like just a tiny little speck on the globe. And it, it's fascinating that people were able to find it as early as they did. Yeah, considering that these are the Polynesians who we're not quite sure where they came from. And we're not quite sure why they left, whether mm-hmm. there was some sort of dispute yeah. that arose or whether some got ambitious and wanted to start their own colony elsewhere. But because the Polynesians are such great sailors and navigators, they were able to make it to this island. We know that they sailed in wooden boats that were probably lashed together with reeds, wrapped really tightly like ropes. Mm -hmm. And they were probably adrift in the ocean for about two weeks before they hit land. Easter Island. And that was around 400 AD, and so uh, you can understand how archaeological evidence can't really indicate like what exactly motivated uh, these people because they, were, they ended up being isolated on this island for so long. Furthermore, speaking of isolation, we're not sure how many went the first time. And when they arrived at Easter Island, we're not sure if they settled there because they had picked it, Mm -hmm. they knew it existed, and that was their final destination, or if they were so desperate, they picked any land that they could have seen. And regardless, they actually came very prepared. Uh, for for being ready to survive wherever they landed. Yeah, they had a type of leafy green with them to grow. They mm-hmm. had sweet potatoes One and of my bananas. Yeah. Oh, I know. Who doesn't love a sweet potato? Yeah. Gosh. Um, I think they also had a couple of chickens. Mm-hmm. And again, when they pulled up to Easter Island, I just I can't imagine how they must have felt because parts of Easter Island were just gorgeous, a very verdant paradise. I think that today archaeologists suspect that there may have been at one time 16 million palm trees, just, you know, in wow. Eden in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. But the part that they docked at was a less welcoming landscape. And that's the thing about Easter Island. As tiny as it is, this mm-hmm. little triangle-shaped island, it has very diverse landscapes. It has white, sandy beaches, and then it has yeah. these very jagged and forbidding cliffs. And it has a volcano. 
volcanoes yeah. and palm trees. So who mm-hmm. knows what they thought, but they set to task and they did pretty well. They cultivated the land and they increased their population and they became a very sophisticated society. Yeah, and it was, you can see how it was probably pretty hard at first, especially because they brought most of their sustenance with them, as we said, and what was actually on the island itself before they came there was not much. There were, there were lizards maybe and insects, um, but that, but they actually had to start from the ground up mostly. Exactly. They were able to hunt dolphins and other Mm -hmm. types of fish in the waters, but it's important to note that Easter Island is not just remote as far as people go and and animals, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. There aren't very many nutrients in the water, or there weren't at that time, at least, and so not much could be sustained. So there were birds that would pass over, and Mm -hmm. some people think that's how it got to be such a a verdant little paradise, is that the the birds would bring seeds that they deposited. And yeah, and, and this is actually a point of contention about like how things got there and and um, etc. Because some historians claim like we're trying to figure out where the original people came from, and some historians claim oh these people came from Chile, obviously like that's the closest land. Um, but when explorers eventually stumbled upon the island, uh, European explorers, uh, a Polynesian on the ship was actually able to converse with uh, the people there. And so that's so they were obviously speaking a variation on Polynesian. So they think the people came from Polynesia. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands and over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel for for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper, waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com where travels come true. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. And so we could tell y'all about Easter Island all day. Yeah. And if you don't know much about it, you may be saying, okay, sure. So it's a tiny little island. Things <laughs> are green. People came from nowhere. Great. But <laughs> the really important thing about Easter Island is the Moai. Yeah. And ultimately, the Moai brought about the height of the civilization and then their very, very darkest hour. And mm-hmm. the history of Easter Island, not just how they got there, because that part is interesting in and of itself, but... It gets so haunting, and it really gives me chills mm-hmm. every time I think about it. These people had a very specific religion and culture, mm-hmm. and um, their spirituality was manifested through art, you know, storytelling and string figures and sculpture. And sure. when they got to Easter Island, the volcanoes and the quarries had all of this ash that was perfect for making sculpture. And so they made these giant heads. Mm-hmm. And they're very stylized looking. If you've never seen a picture of them, I would encourage you to look up the Easter Island Moai immediately. And this is what people usually asso- associate with Easter Island is these huge heads. These huge things. heads. And it, what I found interesting is that they're actually found other places. Like other, other cultures did have something like this, but it was the Easter Islanders who actually like they had the most sophisticated and the biggest and the most incredible ones. Well, and you have to wonder, too, I think they might have gotten bored. And there was a, <laughs> a sense of competitiveness sure. among them because mm-hmm. they would build these giant, giant heads. And just to give you guys an idea, average-wise, average they could weigh up to 82 tons and stand up to 32 feet high. They were huge. They were just giant heads. They didn't have necks, but they had these really long earlobes. And mm-hmm. they were very stylized in their features with their long noses. And their eyes were sometimes ornamented with coral or obsidian. But they look very phallic. And perhaps archaeologists say that's because the population was always struggling to reproduce. Yeah. And they were so obsessed with fertility gods, I believe. They I were. Yeah. They were. So they, they could be phallic mm. in homage to fertility gods. Mm-hmm. And um, speaking of which, because the population was so challenged, they had to inbreed. And so yeah. even to this day, you'll find some Easter Islanders who have six toes on each foot. Isn't yeah, that's that very interesting. I guess it also probably stems from the fact that they had a class system, even within this tiny island. Um, their population had a class of like an upper class and, and a working class sort of thing, and uh, I imagine that contributed to separating how people bred. I think so, and when it came to the Moai, Mm -hmm. this was such a manifestation of of honor and spirituality. I think everyone was a participant, no matter the class. I don't know that for a fact, but I would assume that people would come together, and there was a very specific process with creating the Moai. Mm -hmm. The artist would start in the quarry and start, you know, putting the rock together and carving it down and chiseling it. And essentially it would be sort of on a, like a little block by the time you finished carving it. And they would create these deep rivets alongside the block. So finally there was just like a tiny little sliver of stone that connected the head to the quarry. Mm -hmm. And this was the keel. And once they could sever the keel, they would lay the head 
on a series of, of logs, we yeah. imagine. And archaeologists are in dispute about how they transported these heavy, heavy monoliths. Yeah, and it's like, sort of like the, the Stonehenge of, of Easter Island mm-hmm. because people are, historians are boggled by the fact how could these people have the technology and the, and the, and the ingenuity, I guess, to move these humongous structures, and that's like a huge feat. It is, and so people either imagine that about 70 men got together and pulled them mm-hmm. with ropes yeah. fashioned from parts of trees, or else they laid them on a series of logs in which mm-hmm. two layers of logs would be perpendicular to each other. They'd grease them with palm oil, and they'd roll them on a platform. And I yeah. imagine this was such a painstaking process. I think that it could take up to two weeks to move the moai. It must have been important to them. <laughs> it, exactly. It was yeah. very important to them because they put such labor into it. And their final resting spot were on ahu, or platforms. And the moai mm-hmm. faced inland toward the island. It was obviously meant to watch over the residents and to protect them. Yeah. So they put these around the perimeter, right? It's like, and so all of these around the perimeter were looking inward. Yeah, and we It's really interesting. We think over the course of 500 years, about 900 of them were carved, and Mm -hmm. you can see where the artists got competitive because there were so many that were left unfinished in the quarry, Mm -hmm. and archaeologists found them later on. um, Ones that had a flaw, maybe, or ones that were broken, you know, whether in transit or whether in construction. They were just abandoned completely, and Mm -hmm. You so can, they were perfectionists. They were perfectionists. This is, you know, how they were expressing their devotion to the gods, and they got bigger over time, too. Yeah. They started out more modest, and then there was one that they call El Gigante, and it's so big. Of course, it's in the quarry. No one could possibly have moved it. Yeah. But herein lies the problem with what they were doing. Uh, yeah, so if we go back to how they transported them, they obviously, Candace suggested that they were using logs, and, and uh, it must have taken a lot, and obviously they made a lot of these moai, so they ended up cutting down a whole lot of trees, and this ended up being their huge flaw, their, their huge mistake. You're right, because over time, they had such an abundance of resources. I think yeah. that they used it throwing caution to the wind. Right. The and trees- today we, we, we sort of think of trees as the most renewable resource there is. But, of course, like on that isolated island, yeah. um, they must have just used up. No, you're right. When you're living in isolation like yeah. that, when you use up your resources, no matter yeah. how renewable it is, if mm-hmm. you're not getting any more seeds to plant and you're right. not cultivating the landscape, it's over. And that's what happened because not only did they cut down all the trees, but they essentially caused all the topsoil on the island yeah. to wash away because yeah. the roots were in there to hold it down. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business, and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. 
Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands and over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper, waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Furthermore, they were using the trees to make boats to go out and fish for dolphins and purposes. And this is especially sad to me. It's just that they couldn't make boats anymore. You know, they couldn't no. fish because they couldn't make boats because they didn't have trees. And what's worse than that, not only could they not fish, not only could they not grow crops, after they realized that they had destroyed their island and all the trees were gone, mm-hmm. they didn't have anything left to make boats with to flee the island. Exactly, yeah. They were prisoners of their own making. Yeah. And that's when things got really dark and really mm-hmm. dangerous. People yeah. started starving. Some scholars posit that maybe some may have resorted to cannibalism. Yeah, that's true. And, and this is a point of contention because some some historians, notably um, Jared Diamond, uh, says that these um, islanders resorted to cannibalism after, like other food sources, uh, dwindled. Um, and he points to how uh, cannibalism is... Their oral tradition, the islanders' oral tradition, is rife with with cannibalism and talk of it. And there's a little bit of archaeological evidence that um, human bones were found in these pits of of garbage that where these are the pits where they threw their their food trash. And so um, people like Jared Diamonds use this to to say, oh, well, they must have resorted to cannibalism. Other historians are like, oh, no, there's not enough evidence to say that, and we shouldn't say that unless unless we're sure. And they say that maybe, you know, after people naturally died, there were rituals that people did with people's bones. We know that happened, too. So it's a point of contention. 
So however you interpret these relics of bone, you can look at the things that are alongside them that that date to around the same time, Mm -hmm. and you see that this is the first time in Easter Island that they've manufactured weapons like spears and arrows and things like this. So we know that there was strife. Yeah, between the tribes, right? Yeah, and we Mm -hmm. know that when they came, there were very, very few of them. Around 1150 AD, the population was somewhere from 7,000 to 9,000. 1600, that was the height of the civilization. It was around 10,000 in population then. But then when things started declining and the population started dwindling, we see that people broke off into different clans. And essentially they were all fighting for the very tiny parcels of arable land that were left. And it was very, very difficult to stake a claim to this because I think that the Easter Islanders, they were respectful of their gods and they were respectful of women and children. Even the scholars who point to the fact that they may have resorted to cannibalism Mm -hmm. point out that Women and children never watched this happen, which I don't know if that means that men were the only ones who resorted to cannibalism, if they ate it in private away from women and children. But Mm -hmm. I think that they, you know, they were still trying to hold their civilization together, but it got harder and harder. And finally, there was this cult that rose out of all the distress and it was called the Birdman cult. Mm -hmm. And the premise was pretty simple. Be the first person to grab the egg from a city-turned nest, and you're going to be the leader for 12 moons. And that may sound like a pretty simple feat, but the city-turned nests are in the highest cliffs on the islands. It would involve, like, a swim and then a rock climb and then a massive trek back to be the first person to have this egg. And if you lost this contest, it Mm. was all bets off because the losers were typically expected to stab themselves with uh, with spears. So the Birmingham cult does sound pretty drastic, but through this, there actually was a rebirth in arable land and cultivation of crops. I think the sweet potato reared its head again. Okay. So thank goodness for tubers. Yeah, and they were struggling, they were were still struggling to to, um, an extent, and this is when you know, Europeans actually started stumbling upon these people, and they, f- they finally had sort of contact and, and access to the outside world. But this ended up causing a lot of harm as well as good um, because, like, obviously Europeans come uh, with their own uh, diseases, like, that they have become immune to, and so they exposed uh, these diseases to uh, the islanders at the time, and so that e- hurt their population even more. And I think that when... The 19th century came around. The mm-hmm. population had dwindled to only, gosh, just a little over 100, maybe 110 Easter Islanders. Yeah. And not only did the Westerners bring their diseases, they also brought their religion and sure. their ideas. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that it's called Easter Island is because when it was first discovered, or I guess discovered by Europeans, was that it was Easter Sunday. Yeah, and it's interesting in that throughout the, the, I guess, the 19th century, the eventually Christian missionaries did come over and start and start converting the islanders um to uh most of them i guess and they ended up sacrificing a lot of their culture which is of course necessary when you sacrifice um your religion right when the christian missionaries came the exchange for giving up their religion and and their culture like their storytelling and their their tattoos and Mm -hmm. their their everything else was that they learned how to use their land to be a ranch, essentially. So they had livestock, and they were able to say, okay, so we have this very treeless land now that's not good for much, but it is good for using as a ranch. Yeah. And at this time, the Easter Islanders, I think, for the most part, they were very wearied with their culture. And when things had gotten really dark, 
they turn to the Moai and wa- and rather they blame them, blame the gods for mm-hmm. what had befallen them, yeah. or whether they realize that it was their own, you know, very over-enthusiastic production of the sculptures that brought them down, they right. started knocking them down. Yeah, and, you know, like you said, like, we're not really sure why it happened. I, I remember reading one theory was that, like, when when uh, the population split into different clans, one clan would destroy those those statues because they believed those were the source of their power, of the, of the opposite clan's power. Mm-hmm. And so there's all kinds of, of theories about this, but um, regardless, it, it is interesting that they made such amazing feats, and yet they ended up tearing it down. They did, and yeah. you, can, you can see where they, they gouged out the eyes, the yeah. and the obsidian eyes, and they would arrange really sharp stones under where the head would fall, so mm-hmm. that when they knocked it from the Ahu, the head would sever, so they were, in essence, decapitating these gods. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until archaeologists came back and tried to restructure them that mm-hmm. they were able to rehoist the Moai. And I think that today the Easter Islanders very much accept that as part of their culture. But another thing that they lost forever was their language, which was um, Rongo Rongo. And it actually came about from a very dirty trick that the Spanish pulled back in 1772. They came over and essentially they tricked the tribal leader into signing a treaty that turned Easter Island over to Spanish control. Yeah. So while that in itself was not diplomatic to any mm-hmm. extent, it inspired the Easter Islanders to create their own system of writing. And so yeah. there are still tablets today with Rongo Rongo that exist. And I think Easter Islanders continue to carve these little symbols, but no one knows what it means because, again, part of giving up the culture to Christian missionaries was mm-hmm. getting, you know, ranches established and yeah. getting their crops reestablished and essentially surviving. Mm-hmm. So they made that choice. That's interesting that the, both the introduction of writing sort of hurt and helped them sort of in a way like uh, it, it's certainly a nasty trick to be like hey this is what writing is write anything on this line and you're sacrificing your island unknowingly sort of thing but it also brought about the fall of the Birdman cult too because mm. the tribal leader was able to reassert his power yeah. through writing yeah. so it's just such an interesting history and the Easter Islanders are very very proud of their history I think that today there are maybe around 2,000 people on the island yeah and their population is really rebounded thankfully they have and they have I think joint citizenship with Chile so they can go back and forth and mm-hmm. if you want to go to Easter Island I think that you have to fly to Chile first and then yeah. there are flights certain days of the week that go out to Easter Island and, and that's what it, I mean is awesome that Easter Island has a has an um, an airport now and so people can come and the like archaeologists can study and tourists can can find out the rich culture and uh, it's pretty interesting and yeah, they have Chile actually has control over it because they annexed it in 1888. We should probably mention that. But the culture of Easter Island is still alive. The people are incredibly friendly. Mm-hmm. I think that um, people have written that as they've traveled to Easter Island, if hotel rooms are booked, you can stay with any Easter Island family in their mm-hmm. house, and yeah. they'll happily welcome you. So it's just it seems like such a great place to visit. I can't wait to go. Mark my words, 2010. If I'm not there, someone come shake me, please. <laughs> Okay, so now that we have gotten all of the background on Easter Island, Candace and Jane really did talk quite a bit about that log roller theory for transporting the Moai out of the quarry, plus how that heavy use of forest resources could have eventually led to the island's environmental collapse. All these logs for the statues, no more trees, no more comfy island. But last summer, a new study sponsored by the National Geographic Society and engineered by Terry Hunt from the University of Hawaii and Carl Lippo from California State University, Long Beach, suggested a new possible means of transport. And that is rocking and rolling or more 
simply, if you think about it, walking. How, if you can imagine one of these Easter Island statues just taking a stroll. Yeah, so this walking idea probably sounds a little funny, but just bear with us. Last summer, the researchers demonstrated that a five-ton replica could be moved with a team of 18 people using ropes alone by gently tilting the statue back and forth, kind of shimmying it along this road, taking advantage of its D-shaped base and its big belly that allows for forward (laughs) tilting. So that uh, unbalanced aspect of it actually works to their advantage. It does. And and something similar was done back in 1986. But at that point, the statue wasn't allowed to take advantage of that big belly and lean forward. It was kept completely upright and it just twisted. So instead of that shimmying or the tilting back and forth. It was just twisting and that ultimately damaged its base and they figured, okay, this is not going to work. To really get a good sense of this, it kind of helps if you go watch a video and it's easy to find online. We watched it before we came in to recording and it's kind of, it's kind of great to see one of these guys just moving down the road bit by bit. But it is so striking looking. You have to wonder how anybody thought of this in the first place. It came about when one of Hunt's colleagues, Sergio Rapu, who is an archaeologist and a member of the island's indigenous population, took Hunt and Lippo to see all of those abandoned moai that Candace and Jane mentioned and pointed out the seemingly specially engineered features like the D-shape and the heavy belly, things that could allow these giant upright statues to, like you said, shimmy along the road. But if this theory is correct and the moai were not moved with logs, that still leaves us with the question, why was the island's forest so totally decimated? Well, according to a National Geographic article by Hannah Block, Hunt and Lippo have also excavated the island's beach and believe that inhabitants arrived much later than earlier believed, 1200 A.D. And since this would mean the environmental degradation had to happen at a faster pace, they've also suggested that the trees weren't wiped out through slash-and-burn farming or through rampant sludge and roller construction but by rats. Oh, gross. So Polynesian rats specifically, whose bones litter those same trash heaps discussed in the older podcast. And they would have come aboard the very same canoes that the Polynesians arrived in. And the inhabitants would have eaten them. You know, that Candace and Jane mentioned that they brought chickens along. So uh, they would have eaten the rats. But more protein. <laughs> more protein. But uh, with no other predators on the island, Besides the settlers, the rat population could have quickly exploded and the hungry rodents could have gone gobbling up all of the palm nuts and stopping new trees from growing because uh, these forests are very slow growing. And if the rats are eating everything, you're not going to have any new forests. And plus, of course, they would also eat things like bird bird eggs and further decimating um, the, the environment, the environment of the island. Interestingly, Hunt and Lippo take things a step further away from Diamond's poor stewardship theory by suggesting that the island's people actually had a sustainable society. The rats just happened to mess them up really badly. For example, just some things that support this. They built stone windbreaks to protect crops and soil. They also fertilized with ash and rocks from the island's inactive volcanoes. 
And they may have even been peaceful, which is a much different idea from the predominant competitive, warring, and eventually cannibalistic historical telling of this situation, though some archaeologists like Rapu think that this is highly unlikely. I think that they probably still did compete over these statues and eventually went to war with each other. But I think what I find most interesting is that the story works as an environmental parable of sorts either way. One, the diamond theory is about land management and resources. The newer idea is more about invasive species, rats coming and messing everything up for you, and biodiversity and how fragile it can be on an island like this. And uh, what's neat is, is that both of those theories do still tie into very timely topics today. Things it that is neat, although I wish, think we, about a lot. I, know, I wish we didn't have problems with them, but yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> and one more point in case you're wondering... Walking the Moai does not look easy. It looks dangerous. <laughs> but possibly to the theory's credit, there are loads of dropped Moai on the road between the quarry and the statues. So, And I'm wondering, especially if they were kind of a, a warring society, what happened to those poor guys who dropped a Moai on the road oh. from the quarry? <laughs> I didn't even think of that until you just said it. You'd have to be in big trouble, I think. So it was really fun to learn a little bit more about the story and find out that people are still coming up with new theories about it and that they are so timely and rats are involved. I mean, I didn't really see that one coming when I saw headlines about the Moai walked to their position. So anyway, if you want to learn a little bit more, we do have the Easter Island article that Candace also wrote. This was one of her favorite topics, I think. I actually updated her when I heard this news, too, and she was excited to know that that there's new ideas about how the Moai got to where they were. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I guess we can look forward to maybe more updates in the future, or at least see yeah. how these pan out. But if you have any stories to share with us or any suggestions about this topic or any others that you want to hear, you can write to us. We're at HistoryPodcast at Discovery.com. We're also on Facebook, and we're on Twitter at Mist in History. And if you want to check out that article, it's called How Easter Island works and you can find it by searching on our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. 
Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.